Welcome to Fresh Start Church Online. Our mission is to help people find a fresh start through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if we can pray for you or help you in any way. Now here's Pastor Bruce with this week's message. I'm glad that all of you are here. We're we're continuing this series called, I Know You Are, But What Am I? Where we're looking at some of the major flaws that we as Christians have. And uh, they're things that that both stop Christians from wanting to be part of church or any kind of organized uh, faith. And it stops other people, non-Christians, from wanting to know God, from wanting to come to God. Because they see these things uh, in us. Uh, Two weeks ago when we started, we talked about hypocrisy. And last week we talked about prejudice. And... You know, I, I just want to say, if if you think that you're not a hypocrite, if you're a Christian and you think you're not a hypocrite, or if you're a Christian and you think you're not prejudiced, then I think you're probably going straight to hell. I don't think there's any purpose for your life here on earth. I just think you should just go away and just be done with it. That sounds judgmental, doesn't it? Well, that's our topic today. I know you're judgmental, but what am I? I'm judgmental, too. I'm judgmental too. And no, I didn't mean what I just said. I was showing the point that, that, that we're like that. That we just, we just, for different things and different reasons, we latch on to stuff and we become judgmental. If you're not like I am, if you're not doing what I think you should do. And, and sadly, Christians have always been known for this. For so long, we've, we've treated other people totally different than Jesus treated people. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why we see totally different results than Jesus saw when he interacted with people. Uh, Last week, I saw something on Facebook. A friend of mine uh, put this post up, and I thought, oh, my gosh, is he just, like, feeding me, you know, sermon illustrations for for next week? So uh, let me just show you as as we get into today's topic. Uh, it, these are all friends of mine. I took one of them's name off so as not to embarrass him. But uh, my friend Alan posted, oh, my gosh, they just had a question about M- MSNBC's Rachel Maddow and showed her picture on Jeopardy, and no one knew who she was. Alan's a Christian, active member of a church in Palm Bay on the worship team there. And then Cheryl Palmer uh, clicks like. And then Cheryl says, Rachel who? Now, Cheryl, if, if you live in Melbourne, you may. Uh, she was uh, Melbourne City Councilwoman for years. And so she says, Rachel who? And then the next guy, who will remain nameless, said who? And then went and looked her up, Googled her apparently. Oh, I see she's a les. Good to know I'm not missing anyone important. And then gives her birth date, year, and her partner's name. These are all Christians. They're all friends of mine. They're all people that I've known for 20 years or more. And when I saw that, oh, well, she's a les, she's a lesbian. Well, then look at it. I'm not missing anyone important. I, I think that might just be a perfect snapshot of kind of the key to this problem of being judgmental is that as Christians, we've not been able to do a very good job of separating someone's sin from their value as a human being. And so if people are openly participating in things that the Bible speaks against, instead of continuing to love them, we say things like this, not important. Not important. And let me tell you, I used to be guiltier of this than anybody. I mean, I still am, I'm sure. But I used to be really, 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 really bad about judging people who were living lives that were blatantly opposed to, to God or God's word. And, and, and instead of loving them and caring about them and showing them the love of God, I just judged them and sent them to hell if it was in my ability to do that. It breaks my heart 
It breaks my heart, but that's that's just the challenge that we have as Christians. We can look at someone's lifestyle and say, oh, they're not living a lifestyle that God and his word endorse. They may be living a lifestyle totally opposed to what God would endorse. Therefore, I'm just going to hate them and I'm going to treat them terribly. And I don't know why people... More people don't come to Christ. Why aren't they attracted to this God who forgives and who changes lives? See, when we're judgmental, we kind of forget that we're still sinners too. Uh, Maybe we put on a church face and pretend like we don't have sin in our lives. Maybe we think we're fooling people, but we're not. And that's the problem. We're not fooling people. And and so people say, how can they judge me for this and look at what they're doing? And we'll talk about that more next week as we wrap this series up. But I saw that and I just thought, okay, if I'm a lesbian, and I never have been, just so you know. If I'm a lesbian, does this make me want to know more about your God? Or not have anything to do with you. I'm thinking I don't want anything to do with this guy. Interesting thing. The guy that said that actually works with uh, Harris. Has several uh, ladies who are lesbians that he works closely with. And you know what? They're nice to him. They're nice to him. Matt told me this week he's got a friend that just kind of looks different. And that, who was it? You said a Jehovah's Witness. Who was the other person? Uh, a, Muslim. a Muslim. This is what this guy said. Because of his appearance, I've never seen him. He looks pretty much like you, right? Just kind of wild looking. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said, I got a Muslim neighbor and a Jehovah's Witness neighbor, and they're far nicer to me than the Christians. Christians are the ones that always judge me because... Of my appearance. Isn't that sad? But we do that. We do that. And last week when we talked about prejudice, we saw that the root of the word was to prejudge. To judge someone. We don't even know them. We don't even know. I, I still remember meeting Norm White. And, and Norm, if, if uh, God bless him, I, I don't know that he's still alive. He's probably not. But I met Norm. And I was skinny back then. You know, when you're skinny, you judge everybody who's fat. You just do. I mean, the first 30 years of my life, I laughed at people that were overweight. How could anybody be overweight? How could that happen? How could that, how could that, and then I quit asking that question. You just judge anybody who, who you can't identify maybe with their particular struggle, and you just judge them. Well, I weighed 155 pounds when I met Norman. And Norm weighed, it was either 575 or 625 pounds. And literally worked as the fat man in a carnival sideshow. The people would pay money to come see this fat, fat man. I'd never met anybody that big. I I sure didn't know anybody that big. I'd never seen anybody in person. Maybe pictures, Ripley's Believe It or Not or something. I'd never seen anybody. And, and, And I met Norm. And you know what? Norm was a really nice guy. And my mother used to pick him up and take him to work. And she had this big station wagon, ambassador station wagon. It was like 5,000 feet long, you know, really heavy duty back when cars were cars. And, and Norm would get in in this big, heavy car. And he would get in, and the whole car would tilt to the side that he was sitting on. But my mom picked him up every day, took him to work. And I got to know Norm, and I thought, gee, he's just like Everybody else. He's just a nice guy. I don't know why he's so big. I don't know why. But he's a nice guy. And then one day somebody told me why Norm was so big. They said he was just the skinniest guy you'd ever meet. Happily married. And then his wife was killed in a car accident. And Norm started eating. And he didn't stop. He didn't stop. And that's just how he dealt with his pain. You know, to my knowledge, he, he, he wasn't a Christ follower. You know, I don't remember ever having those discussions with him, but uh, that's how he dealt with his pain. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, I'm never going to look at anybody like that again the same and just judge them. I don't know what they've been through. 
I don't know what's going on. I don't know the pain that, that, that's happened to them or that people have caused them. I don't know the background. But we judge people. We just see them and we judge them. Or they're in some category we don't like and so we judge them. I thought it was hilarious. You probably saw it in the news a week or so ago that uh, Oprah Winfrey was in Zurich, Switzerland. And she went into a little shop and they had some purse and she said, how much is that? And it was $38,000 and the, and the person in the store wouldn't take it down to show her because it was too expensive for her. She looked at Oprah Winfrey, judged her, and wouldn't show her the merchandise. Oprah's net worth is $2.9 billion. She could, she could buy purses like that and just throw them away every day for the rest of her life and never run out of money. But somebody looked at this woman and judged her and said, yeah, you can't afford it. You can't afford it. I've done the same thing. I, I shared with you once about a time down at FIT that there was this Christian speaker coming in that just went from college campus to college campus. And he didn't speak in the auditorium. He didn't speak in the chapel. He would go out on the grounds of the school at lunchtime as the students would walk out. And FIT, you know, students from all over the world, from every different religious background, would come there to school, and very highly educated people come there to school, and so this guy would walk out and stand outside the, the cafeteria, the dining room, where all the students would be, and he'd get up and he'd say, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. God sent him to earth to take all of our sin upon himself and to die to pay the penalty for all of our sins. So that anyone who believes in him could have eternal life. That was his whole presentation. I may have done it longer than he did. I mean, it was like 30 seconds. That's all he said. And then he said, I'm open for questions, comments, or debate. God bless that guy. I'd be scared to death to do that. I'd be scared to death to do that. And I've been told prior to going that there was uh, students on FIT. There was a, a group of students who were uh, uh, Satan worshipers. They were part of a, you know, a, a cult, uh, and and they, they were all practicing witches. And so I went thinking, okay, I got to pray, you know, that God will use this man to touch people's hearts. I got to pray because I guarantee you these. Witches are going to be praying against him. And, you know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to pray. And I'm standing there in the crowd and I look and the guy next to me. I'm like, oh, cool, God. You put me right next to one of them. Because here's this guy with this wild looking shirt with all kinds of weird stuff all over it. You know, kind of heavy metal, all this stuff all over his shirt. And I'm like, God put me right next to you. You know, he's shaved and his hair was all messy. And he, I just, and, and, and I thought, this might be one of them. And then sure enough, this guy talked more than anybody in the crowd. He'd say, well, what about this? And he'd say some quote. Well, what about, you know, how do you, what about, Jesus never claimed to be God. And, you know, he was just like, he was the agitator. He just kept throwing stuff at this guy. And this clean cut kid on the other side of me didn't say anything, very polite. Well, guess which one was the leader of the coven of witches at FIT. Yeah, the clean-cut guy. We end up walking around the corner and talking for half an hour. Clean-cut guy. Who's this other guy? Oh, he's on the worship team at what well, used to be New Covenant Church on Babcock. And I didn't know that his shirt was some Christian metal band. And, and I didn't know he was purposely asking all these questions to give the guy something to answer because he knew that's the questions that would be in people's minds. And I'm like, oh, man. We judge people. We judge people based on their appearance. We judge people based on so many different things. And instead of it attracting people to Christ, it drives people away from Christ. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. And I, I just want to watch a, a, a video. And as we do... This is just going to kind of set up the scripture that we're about to look at. But as we do, just listen to what this woman says. It, it just pierces my heart. Every time I see this video, it just pierces my heart. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation save that which is bad. 
You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner, no drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me. But don't mean to get to know me for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me. You actually know me. All of me and everything about me. Every thought inside and hair on top of my head. Every hurt stored up. Every hope. Every dread. My past and my future. All I am and could be. You tell me everything. You tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say I am he. To be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get you. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you told me, who should see what you showed me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do. We need it for our own. What a contrast as she portrays the woman that we're about to look at in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 4. What a contrast in her description of Jesus and the way he treated her and cared about her. You've got your Bibles. We're going to start in verse 1, also printed out in your outline, and we'll put the verses up on the screen this morning. I put that video on Facebook this morning, and and that's why I did the survey that led to this series, asking people who weren't Christians or didn't go to church, you know, what is it about us? What's wrong with Christians? What kind of flaws has kept you away? And one of the ladies that participated in that kind of informal survey watched this video this morning, and her comment was, Bruce, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I ask a question. What is it about Christians that keeps you away from God or away from the church? And, and, and did this whole series based on that. And, and, and here's a lady that says, thanks for listening. See, that, that's what we need. That's what we want is to, to, to let people, I care about you. I want to know. I want to know. Because if we truly, truly love Jesus and appreciate what he's done for us, then we should want other people to know. And wanting other people to know, getting them attracted to Christ doesn't come by judging them and condemning them. Let's see how Jesus did it. John chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. If you happen to be kind of a historian or if you like maybe just Bible history, uh, you would know reading that that something's wrong with that. He had to go through Samaria? I mean, Jesus had been in Judea. He was returning to Galilee. But no Jewish man going from Judea to Galilee would ever go through Samaria. You wouldn't go that way. Why? Because the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, they were enemies. They didn't like each other. They, for hundreds of years, they'd had problems with each other. For hundreds of years, there'd been racial tension. There'd been conflict. They did not like each other. You would, if you were a good Jewish man, you would go all the way around. You'd do whatever it took to go any other route than to pass through Samaria. 
And yet it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why would that be? Why would that be? He was God here on earth in the flesh. So he knew the best way to get there. You know, you, even with Google Maps, you know, we get lost. We think we got the best way. We, we get lost. He knew the best way. He created every bump and every curve and every mountain and every hill. He created the earth. He knew the best way to get there. But he chose the worst way to get there. Not only that, it says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Why? Not because it was the shortest. Not because it was the smoothest way. Not because it was the best way. He had to go meet this woman that we're about to read about. He had to go meet this woman. Because Jesus, no matter what the mission was, and his was the most important mission in the history of the universe, but Jesus, with his mission to come and seek and save us, lost people like us, it didn't matter how big the crowd was. He would care about one person. It didn't matter about all the demands. He would stop and care about one person. He had to go through Samaria. It ended up taking him much longer than any other route. But he did it because he knew. He knew what was going to happen. He knew there was someone there that was far from God who needed to meet him, who needed to know him. So here he goes. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Verse 5. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Isn't it interesting? It, it, it's, you know, I, I said a minute ago, Jesus was God here in the flesh. He was fully God while he was here on earth, but he was also fully human. And so he got tired like we get tired. And, you know, they didn't have uh, motorcycles or cars or anything else. They'd walk. You know, here he was walking, and it's a long walk, and he gets tired just like everybody else. He got weary just like everybody else. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Please give me a drink. If you're a parent, what's one of the first things you teach your kids? Say please. Say please. Jesus said, please. Complete stranger. Jesus said, please. Our daughter's first job was working at a family Christian store when they used to be on 192. And you know what she said? Here's a Christian bookstore, right? This is where, you know, and it was the only one in town. So if you wanted any kind of Christian book, you wanted a Bible, you wanted anything, that's where you'd go. And you know what she said about the customers there? You know who she said the rudest customers were? And not just once, over and over and over, the rudest customers in the Christian store? Pastors. Pastors. Every time she'd say they think they're too good to stand in line. They think they're too important. They think they're too busy. They come up and they complain and they argue and they just all this stuff. And it broke my heart because I knew it was true. I knew it was true. Jesus said, please, not just to a nice Christian girl taking care of him. He said, please, to a complete stranger who belongs to a group of people that Jewish people had nothing to do with. Verse 8. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So they're traveling together from Judea to Galilee. They stop in Samaria. His followers, the disciples, they go, you know, they're looking... I don't know how hard it was to find a nice Jewish deli back then in a non-Jewish community. It's probably pretty hard, but they go in trying to find some food. And then verse 9 says, the woman was surprised. The woman was surprised. Why? For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan 
Woman, why are you asking me for a drink? There's so much behind that question. So she was surprised. Why? Because he was Jewish. He was a man. He was a teacher. And none of those things made sense to her. Why would this guy talk to somebody like me? Why would this guy stop and say please to me? Why would this guy have anything to do with me. I think she was surprised that he didn't judge her. She was probably surprised thinking, well, he doesn't know who I am. I'm sure she was surprised thinking, he doesn't know what I've done. He, he doesn't know how all the women in town think of me, what they think of me and how they treat me. He doesn't know that everybody gossips about me in town. She was surprised. She was surprised that this Jewish man stopped and said, please, could you get me a drink, please? You know what? When we say that we represent Christ, that we're a follower of Christ, and we step out of the box and speak to people who don't expect a Christ follower to speak to them, polite Kind to people who don't expect Christians to be nice to them. And why would they not expect it? Well, probably because they haven't been treated nice before. When we do that, people will be surprised too. And guess what surprise leads to? Surprise leads to connection. Surprise leads to relationship. Surprise leads to open hearts and open minds. This lady on Facebook, Karen, saying, thank you for listening. See, isn't that what we want? If we truly believe that we have the best news in the entire world, don't we want people to know that? Don't we want people to listen? From a Jewish perspective, there there were three strikes against this woman. The first was, and notice she didn't just say I'm a Samaritan. She said I'm a Samaritan woman. So she's a Samaritan, and she says, yep, Jews don't have anything to do with us. Surprise. She was a woman. A Jewish man would not speak to a woman in public. Wouldn't do it. Most Jewish men wouldn't speak to their own wives in public. If they were walking down the road, they wouldn't speak to their own wives in public. I know some some guys are still like that today. But it, it, it was radical that, okay, Jewish guy wouldn't speak to a Samaritan. Jewish guy wouldn't speak to a woman. And this guy is speaking to me. And I'm an immoral woman. I'm not just a woman. I'm the woman in town with a terrible reputation. She was there at noon. It doesn't mention anybody else being there. You know why? Because women didn't go to the well at noon. That's the hottest time of day. Women would have gone together, first of all, as a group. They would have gone out to the well in the morning when it was cool. They would have gone back out in the evening when it was cool to get water. They didn't go out at noon. But she's there not with other women. And she's there at noon. Why? Because she was the outcast. The women didn't want anything to do with her. She'd been sleeping with their husbands. She'd been, she was the, the town tramp. She was the, they didn't want anything to do with her. So she went out by herself. Nobody else would go out there. And here she is in the heat of the day, out of the desert, trying to get some water from this well. You know, it kind of shows us that no matter what other people think, no matter how bad our past is, no matter what we've done, there's no such thing as being too low for Jesus to care. There's no such thing as I've been too bad. He could never forgive me. No such thing. No such thing. Nobody is, is, is less than or beneath the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. No one. Look at verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Uh, But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? See, she's got questions. What the heck is this guy talking about? If I knew who he was 
And if I knew what he had to give me, he would give me living water? What's, what's the deal with that? You ever question God? You ever doubt God? You ever try to figure it out? This just doesn't make any sense. You ever look for other solutions? Because it just doesn't seem to make sense, this, this God guy and his plan. Look at verse 12. She says, and besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Talked to my son-in-law last night. He's getting ready to preach his first sermon at his new church up in North Carolina, and coming up in a couple of weeks. And I said, "What are you going to preach on?" He goes, "Well, we're going through some verses and the, the I am statements of Jesus." And Jesus said, "I am the bread of life." He said, "That's the first one." He goes. That's just deep. He said, that's just hard. How do you explain? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said he was the door. He said he was the, the bread of life. He says he's the living water. It, it, it's taking things we understand like water, and, and we even understand living water. If you've ever been somewhere where there was stagnant water, if you've ever been out on a trail or you've ever been out hiking or you've ever been somewhere and there's water and you're really thirsty, but it's stagnant water, it's not moving, it's just there. Maybe it was just a giant puddle from rain. You don't know how it got there, but it's stagnant. You don't want to drink that stuff. It's terrible. It's terrible. It could kill you. But when you see moving water, when you see water coming up out of a spring, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. It looks great. It looks refreshing. It looks clean. It tastes great. And so Jesus is telling her, look, you can drink this water. You'll be back again later. You'll be back tomorrow. You'll be back every day. This water is not going to do it for you. You'll still be thirsty. But I give you living water. I give you water. You'll never be thirsty again. Now, she's either got to think, this guy's some traveling salesman. Now i got it figured out. This is why he's nice to me. He's trying to sell me some kind of water purifier. He's got some product that's going to be better than any kind of water thing I've ever seen before. What the heck is he talking about? See, she thinks he's talking about, oh, some kind of flowing water, a river or a stream. But, but he's talking about salvation. He's talking about the only way to have our past forgiven. He's talking about a relationship with him, an eternal relationship with him. He's talking about the life, the spirit of God in us that just keeps refreshing us, keeps strengthening us, keeps giving us power. Look at her response in verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. See, she didn't quite get it yet. Okay, Maybe he's not trying to sell me something, but he's got something. I really want this, this water that you don't have to, you know, not so hard that you don't have to come drink again, but I don't have to come out to this well and carry some giant piece of, of pottery and fill it up with water and carry that heavy thing back, and you've got to do it every day, and I have to do it in the middle of the day when it's hottest. You know, she's thinking that would just be more convenient. That would be more convenient. So she says, well, yeah, give me this water. I, I won't have to come back to this well. But Jesus just read her mail. I mean, he just does what, what Jesus does. doesn't matter. You know, we can be in denial about what sins we have or don't have. We can pretend. We can be hypocritical. We can do all that stuff. Jesus reads our mail. He sees right through us. He saw right through her. And look what he says. Uh, go and get your husband. Maybe he is a salesman. Have you ever had a salesman call and they wanted to schedule a little demonstration to come out and show you something and they want to make sure that if you're a woman that your husband's going to be there? Or if you're a husband, they want to make sure your wife's going to be there? Why? Because they want a decision. They want to close the deal. They want to try to sell you something and they don't want you saying, well, I'll have to talk to my wife or I'll have to talk to my husband. They want you both there for that expensive vacuum cleaner or for that expensive thing of meat or whatever it is they're trying to sell you. So maybe she thinks, huh, maybe he is a salesman. Why is he asking me, go get your husband? Verse 17, he said, she says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. 
you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. What's different about what Jesus just did and the way he did it than how we Christians typically do things? Why do we get accused of being judgmental? Jesus said, yeah, you've had five husbands and you're living with somebody now. He's not even your husband. How did he get away with that? Jesus never got called judgmental. Nobody ever called him that. And yet, I mean, he's not, he's not whitewashing anything. He's going, yep, here's the problem. Here's the problem. What's the difference? Jesus confronted her sin. But he did it with love. And he did it with grace. And he did it while offering her a fresh start and a whole new life. When we confront someone's sin, we typically do it with anger. We do it with hatred sometimes. We do it not to try to offer them hope and a changed life. We do it to crush them and to make them feel guilty and to make them feel ashamed. Jesus gave her love and grace, but so often we have this holier-than-thou attitude. You, terrible Sinner. See, Jesus confronted people's sin. He didn't, you know, he wasn't all Mr. Smiley and will never mention sin. No, he confronted people's sin. He confronted it. But he attracted them to forgiveness and salvation. We confront people's sin and we attack them and we drive them away. That's why people who are nothing like Jesus... Liked Jesus. I say that a lot because I just love that that picture. People who are nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. That's partially why the religious people didn't like him. Is because all these irreligious people, all these outcasts, all these downtrodden people, all these people with messed up lives and past, they all liked Jesus and he hung out with them. They didn't like that. They didn't like that at all. Uh, Valerie was talking recently with a pastor's wife and she said, you know, she said, there's been this this family visiting our church and, you know, guy, woman, kids, and they're not married. And people in the church are really looking down on them. And my heart just broke. My heart just broke. Is is that going to cause this family to say, let's plug into a church and get to know God and follow him and learn his will? Absolutely not. They're going to say, man, those Christians are so judgmental. So judgmental. I guarantee you, no matter what the sin is that we would tend to judge someone else for, we're all doing stuff that's just bad. Just as bad. We might just be in denial about it. When we're judgmental, when we condemn people, we drive them away from God instead of attracting them to God. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. See, here's what she knows. This guy's never been through here before. I would remember if a Jewish guy came through my part of Samaria, first of all. I'd really remember if a Jewish guy ever came by this well when I was out here and talked to me. I'd remember. This guy doesn't know me. He doesn't know that I've had five husbands. He doesn't know that I'm living with this other guy. He doesn't know that stuff. He must be a prophet. I love that. She didn't say, no, no, your information's wrong. She didn't deny her past. She didn't deny her present. She didn't deny any of it. She's like, wow, you must be a prophet. Why? Because you just figured me out. You know. You know my past and you know my present. But then she does what lots of people do, and lots of us Christians do this. She tried to just kind of brush it off. Look Look at verse 20. He just brushes it off and says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? So he says, look, here's your problem. Here's the deal. You've had five husbands. That's why your reputation's so bad here in town. Probably slept with every woman in town's husband. 
you're living with a guy and you're not married to him now. Here's the problem. Now, he's already said, I want to give you eternal life. I want to change your life. She admits it. You must be a prophet. And then she goes, oh, let me ask you a question. How come you guys think Jerusalem? Like, just, okay, now let's change the subject. I admit it, but let's change the subject. Let's go somewhere a little less painful, a little less awkward to talk about. And look at Jesus' answer. She says, wait, wait, you know, how come, how come you, I've always wondered, how come you Jewish people think that Jerusalem's the only place to worship? You know, we say it's here. Why, why is that? Verse 21. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father, on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. You know, I've pointed this out several times lately. There's so many people that say Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. Right here. Right here. And over and over and over he did. He said, I am the Messiah. Not a Messiah. I am the Messiah. Verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? I'm guessing they started doing some gossiping about it. I'm going, could you believe Jesus was hanging out with that Samaritan woman? Oh, my gosh. And we heard about her when we were in town. They said, watch out for the woman that's out there. You know, we heard about her. We know her past. None of them had the guts to say, how come you're not going to hurt Jesus? But they were shocked that he was for all the reasons we just talked about. So what happens? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. See, she had an encounter with the Messiah. She'd heard about him. She knew he was supposed to come, but she didn't know him, and she wasn't living for him, and she wasn't following him. And, and her past had just caused her to be an outcast of her town. But she met Jesus, this Jesus who could see right through her, this Jesus that knew her past, but he was still nice to her, and he was still kind to her, and he still said please, and he offered her something nobody else had ever offered her. He offered her a new life. He offered her eternal life. He offered her complete change. And change she did. She left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, telling everyone. Once she found the water that would satisfy her soul, she forgot about the water jar. She really did get it then. She really did get it that, hey, wait a minute. I don't, this other water is not important. Yeah, I need to drink and I'll get some later. But, oh my gosh, I just met this guy who is the source of living water. And he offered it to me. Nobody else will give me the time of day. Other people, when they walk by, they're just talking about me. Other people are just pointing at me. He cared about me. He knew me and he still cared about me. He knew my past, but he still loved me. He didn't. Judge me. He didn't condemn me. What would have happened if Jesus had judged her? What would have happened if Jesus did what every other good Jewish man did and walked up and wouldn't even look at her and wouldn't even talk to her? Or if he did, he would have been really mean to her and barked at her and said, give me some water, you, and he could have called her all kinds of names. What would have happened if Jesus did that? What would have happened if Jesus walked up and said, you're the town whore, aren't you? You need to go do this and this and this. What would have happened? She sure wouldn't have wanted to have what he had to offer, would she? She sure wouldn't have been attracted to him. She sure wouldn't have heard his message. And she sure wouldn't have accepted it and wanted to change and wanted to tell others. She would have left that well that day and her life would have been unchanged. 
Life as usual, miserable, sad, outcast life. But instead she ran back to town. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? She didn't have all the answers. She didn't fully understand. She wasn't planning to go meet this guy this day. She, it wasn't like she was going to some big revival meeting because I've heard this is the Messiah. She's just out trying to get some water because, you know, just sustenance for life. So she didn't understand it all. But look what happened. The people came streaming from the village to see him. The people that condemned her. The people that judged her. The people that gossiped about her. The people that cut her off and pushed her away. They saw her life changed. If there was someone who could change her, maybe he could change me too. Everybody knows what she's done wrong. Not too many people know what I've done wrong. Not too many people know how dark it is inside of me. Not too many people know that I cheat people. They don't know that I'm a cheater. I just do it. I'm a good businessman. I just cheat people. Not too many people know this. Oh, I've slept around as much as she has, but nobody knows about it. That guy could forgive her? That guy could offer her a new life? Maybe there's hope for me. They came streaming from the village to see him. If he didn't judge her, maybe he won't judge Many Samaritans, verse 39, from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. God used her. He used her immediately. And here's the interesting thing. She wasn't judgmental towards the people in the town who had been so bad to her. She could have gone in and said, I got something you guys don't have and I'm not going to tell you how to get it. And you can all just, you know, go straight where I want you to go. And you get I mean, she just could have come back and just been so judgmental towards all these mean people. Nope. Nope. She wasn't. She went out and let people know what she had found. Verse 40, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. See, they met Jesus, they believed, and they were saved, and they wanted more. Please stay. We want more of you. How about you? Do you want more of Jesus, more of what he has to offer? Next week when we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about Why non-Christians look at Christians and say, you're no different than anybody else. You know, they look at our lives and they say, you're no different than anybody else. Why would they say that? Because a lot of times it's true. So you can believe in Christ and still try to hold on to your ways and not let him give you what he wants to give you. Not let him do in you what he wants to do. This woman, all her ways, man, it wasn't getting her anywhere. She was glad to say, ah, something new. I can have forgiveness. I can be cared about. I can be loved. I can, I can have eternal life. And that joy in her was contagious. And so that people came out and they wanted more. They wanted him to stay. So he stayed for two days. Long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Because he's the savior of the world. He wasn't just the savior for the Jews. He was the savior for Samaritans who would receive him and believe in him. Because Jesus wasn't condemning, because he was kind even when confronting sin, because he had grace and love in dealing with this lady who had been unlovely, because Jesus wasn't judgmental, this woman was saved, her life was changed, she went from being an outsider to an insider immediately, she went from being what everybody called the bad news around town to bringing the town good news about Jesus and many people from that town were saved. You know the biggest danger of us doing this series 
admitting that we're hypocrites, admitting that we're prejudiced, admitting that we're judgmental. You know the biggest danger in this? My biggest fear? And Matt said this in Life Group Wednesday night. He said, you know, we can read this stuff and then just go home. Not be any different. Jesus is life-changing. Not just for people who don't know him yet and their lives are changed once they receive him. He's life-changing for us. He wants to continually change our lives. He wants to make us more and more like him. And as we become more and more like him, guess what happens? We have more grace for other people. We have more forgiveness like he has for us. We have more love for other people despite how messed up their lives might be. And as we become more and more like Jesus, guess what happens? People will be attracted to him now just like they were when he was here. People who are nothing like Jesus but yet liked him when he was here on earth, people who are nothing like Jesus will be interested in him when we live like him, when we treat people like he did. He wasn't a hypocrite. He wasn't prejudiced and he wasn't judgmental. And yet he's the judge of the world. See how huge that is? He's the judge of the universe, but he wasn't judgmental towards people who were lost, towards people whose lives were messed up. Because he wanted to give them a change, not just condemnation. He didn't want to just condemn them. He wanted to save them. And them is us. He wants to do that in our lives. Continually, not just not just at the point that we uh, become believers in him. He wants to continue to do that in us. But we can say, well, I'm not really a hypocrite or I'm not really prejudiced. Anybody in my life that's ever said I'm not prejudiced, prejudiced. You wouldn't say, you don't have to say, if you're not prejudiced, you don't have to say I'm not prejudiced. As soon as we say it, we're like, we're covering up. And God wants to uncover it. He wants to uncover everything in us that's not of him. It's not pleasing to him. He wants to uncover it, not to hurt us, but because he wants to dig in and clean it out so that we can have living water and never be thirsty again. Father, would you pierce us with your word? Don't let us be comfortable in our old ways. Don't let us be comfortable in our sin. Don't let us be comfortable with things that aren't pleasing to you. Don't let us be comfortable with, with being hypocritical or prejudiced or judgmental. God, it, it's, it's so easy to either deny those things that exist in us or to pretend like we have a right to be that way. God, thank you that you offered us grace Instead of condemnation. That you offered us forgiveness instead of punishment. That you offered us salvation instead of hell. Thank you God that though we were dead in our sins. You loved us. And saved us. God help us to separate. Sinners from their sin. Help us to be humble, not self-righteous. Help us, God, to attract people to you instead of pushing them away. In Jesus' name, amen.